Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 433 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod tubeless insulin pump. And they'd be happy to send you a free, no obligation demo. All you have to do to get it is go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. And if you are looking for the most amazing continuous glucose monitor that I've ever seen, you're looking for the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. And you can learn more about it at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Today, we're going to be hearing from a return guest, Dr. Carla Greenbaum who happens to be running things over there at Diabetes Trial Net. I really enjoy talking to Carla. I didn't realize how much I had missed her until she got back on. She has a real easy way about her, and I find it enjoyable to speak with her. So she'll be on in a moment to tell you all about TrialNet, but let me just tell you what it says right on their webpage, trialnet.org. Imagine a future without type 1 diabetes. TrialNet is an international network of leading academic institutions, endocrinologists, physicians, scientists, and healthcare teams at the forefront of type 1 diabetes research. We offer risk screening for relatives of people with type 1 and innovative clinical studies testing ways to slow down and prevent disease progression. Our goal is a future without type 1 diabetes. All right, now let Carl explain to you what all that means, but trust me. This is not just some dry, like, oh, research, you're going to want to hear this. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan. I do want to say that, uh, you know, me personally, I'm of the wrong generation. I don't really do a lot of social media. I don't do any stuff, really. Mm -hmm. But I get reports from the team all the time, and they're always highlighting, like, who do people listen to? And you guys are there all the time. So it's that. really, it's pretty cool what you've created. Thank I you. think it's pretty amazing, actually. Now, I, I still, I mention TrialNet all the time when I'm talking, um, you know, especially when you're talking to parents who have, yeah. um, you know, prospective parents who have type 1 but don't have kids yet. I always ask them, I'm like, you know, would you look? You know, what would you think? I've gotten very, very thoughtful answers Mm -hmm. on both sides back from people. Um, yeah. But anyway, I guess like, let's just start with just, you know, obviously I'll do a lead up to it at some point, but sure. just tell me who you are, give us your credentials and, and tell us about Toronto. So Carla Greenbaum and I direct the center for interventional immunology and the diabetes program at Benaroya research Institute here in Seattle. And I also am the chair of diabetes trial net. Wow. And you've had this job for quite some time now, right? I have. <laughs> I've, been, uh, I've been involved in TrialNet and actually it's preceding study, the diabetes prevention trial since the early 90s. And TrialNet started in 2002 and I was her vice chair for a number of years and then I've been chair, I guess I should remember, about six or seven years now. <laughs> wow. That's terrific. So tell, tell me, I guess, the, the overarching goal of TrialNet is... What's the yeah. what's the thing? Yeah, that's, a good, that's a good way to start this. So first, maybe just say that, you know, what is trial that, right? It's it's NIH funded, your tax dollars, um, international clinical trial network whose uh, job is to save beta cells. 
Um, and we do that both before diagnosis, so the idea about prevention, and we also do studies you know, after diagnosis to save whatever beta cells there are left. And, uh, you know, I, I always think about that that's really the mission, but the secret to what we really do or the, the hint to that is in our name of TrialNet. We're all about doing trials. That's our essence. That's what we're all expert in. And that's what we really, you know, aim to achieve. So if, you know, so I guess that on some levels you need people's samples who already have diabetes and you also like i know you tested my son long time ago now about eight years ago my son got tested and did not have any um antibodies Mm -hmm. that that indicated that he might have type 1 diabetes one day um and uh we had to go into his my daughter's endocrinologist office to get trial net draws is that still how it all works No, it's completely different. So it's a great question. So maybe I should step back for a minute and just put the frame around this. So TrialNet screens people for the risk of diabetes through our pathway to prevention study. And you can think about that as the funnel. It's the way to test an awful lot of people to find the few people who are unfortunately likely to develop diabetes because that's really the people that we want to try to see if we can stop or delay the disease. So the first step is this pathway to prevention, which is screening. Um, But as you're talking about, you know, in the old days, you had to go in and get your blood drawn and you had to go into only a selected number of places. Uh, But now you actually can get tested by going online and doing a consent online and you'll get a kit sent to you. You could test Um, you were uh, with a kit at home, you could do that at home and you put it in the kit and FedEx comes and picks it up and it's all free. Um, So that is really a huge difference from uh, sounds like when your child was screened a number of years ago. No kidding. How um, long have you been able to do it that way? We've been doing that now for a couple of years. I would say, of course, during this year of COVID, it markedly increased. So um, certainly during this past year, I'm guessing, don't quote me exactly, but at least 60, but up to 70% of all people being screened are being screened by doing this online, simple home delivery system. Does it cost anything on my end? No. Well, it costs your tax dollars, but it doesn't cost you (laughs) to participate. That's a really important piece. If I just ignore what I pay in taxes every year, trial net is free. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but that's but that's really an important thing, right? We are NIH supported and all the work that we do is free to any participant, not mm-hmm. just the screening, but the follow-up, you know, consultation with people who are experts about diabetes and diabetes risk and all the monitoring we do to look to make sure whether people are progressing in their disease or not and participating in all the trials, all that well, wow. so if uh, I'm making up things now, but if I uh, I send uh, my, you know, if I have type one diabetes and my brother's like, well, I want to see if I'm going to get it. We find out he's got some markers and how many markers are there? Yeah, that's a great question. There are up to five antibodies that are associated pretty reliably with type one diabetes. And so TrialNet will test up to all five. We don't test all five right away. We test two. And then depending on those results, we will test on others. But that's what we would know. Right. People who have only one antibody, they just come in on an annual basis to see whether or not, or they come in or provide another blood sample to see whether they are developing more antibodies. Because everything we know now suggests that it's really having multiple antibodies that really puts the individual at risk for progressing. So mm-hmm. that's our 
our main group that we're looking for, multiple and, and, antibodies. So if I have multiples, so my friend in yep. this scenario has multiples, is th- what are some of the ways that you try to slow the progression down? Well, the first thing when somebody has multiple antibodies is that we ask them to come in to do a test to see where they are on that path, right? Whether their blood sugars are still completely normal or whether there's anything already abnormal, because that tells us which clinical trial they might be eligible for. So currently, we are running two uh, different clinical trials for people that have multiple antibodies. Um, One is using a drug called Abatacept or Rencia. And that trial has been going on for quite a while now. And we're actually anticipating having the results of that trial before the end of 2021. Hmm. And the second trial, the one that we're still recruiting for, is using a drug called hydroxychloroquine, which has nothing to do with COVID for the purposes of our study. But we now all know what it is. So <laughs> Yeah, we know what it is. But the good news is it is an oral medication that people can take. And so people who have multiple antibodies... Um, and have normal glucose can be in the study. And the idea is to figure out whether hydroxychloroquine can slow or delay people progressing to getting diabetes. And it's a really interesting drug because it's been around for more than 50 years for totally other purposes, Mm -hmm. Um, but it is now widespread use for people who live with arthritis, which of course is another autoimmune disease like diabetes. And that's true in both kids and adults. So there's lots and lots of information about this drug. And all of that suggests that it could slow disease if it's given early on. And so that's why we're doing that study. And is, that's ongoing right now. Is that medication, what is what it does centered around inflammation? Yes. Yes. So to a certain extent, hydroxychloroquine works about... Um, let me how to explain this. There's different, of course, arms of the immune system. And one of the early steps in autoimmunity, we believe is what we call turning on the innate, I-N-N-A-T-E, immune system, which is like your immediate response. And this is what we think hydroxychloroquine interferes with okay. and why we hope it can slow the disease. Um, if, if a person has multiple antibodies, is it, are they definitely going to get type 1 diabetes at some point, or is that not yeah. necessarily the case? That's a great question because as you know, this whole notion of stages of diabetes, which means that once you have multiple antibodies and you have normal glucose, you're at what we call stage one diabetes. And if you have multiple antibodies and your glucoses are not quite normal, that's stage two. And stage three is what we used to call new onset diabetes. And that whole framework was really based on all the studies that do suggest that unfortunately, Once you have multiple antibodies, it's extraordinarily likely that you will get clinical type 1 diabetes. Now, the important piece that people often miss, it doesn't tell us when you're going to progress to getting type 1 diabetes. Some people may live with multiple antibodies for a long time, and other people will get diabetes in a short period of time after the antibodies appear. So it's the antibodies that tell us who to test further to see who's going to be getting diabetes sooner, to Mm. see about who could be in our trials. Gotcha. And this is just a point where I mentioned we're talking about type 1 in case. Yes, type 1 diabetes. And, and, you know, I should say that the 
the study that TrialNet conducted where we showed that one of the drugs that we tested, tepolizumab, could slow progression in people that were at risk for getting diabetes. You know, half the people who had received the placebo got diabetes very, very quickly within two years. Hmm. So when I say that just having antibodies doesn't tell us how long it takes you to get diabetes, it's really having antibodies and doing these other tests that we can help give you information. You know, I have to say that I've now interviewed a number of people who have gotten it in their 60s. Yeah. And um, I feel like a decade or two ago, someone would have told you that was impossible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah. just I've just talked to too many people who, who've had it happen. And and I think at this point now, if I should have made a flow chart at one point in my life. I've probably spoken to somebody who's been diagnosed at every age between one <laughs> Seriously, yeah. between the newborn yeah. and like in their mid 60s. So yeah. it's nobody ever, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's, you know, there's sweet spots, it seems like, where people are like, you know, they're all like always like 28 or just getting ready to go to college or, you mm-hmm. know, like there's, there seems to be, I mean, this is very unscientific, but there's, there seems to be some sweet spots where it happens. But I, I've had somebody say every age that I can think of. So. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. So what you talked about, the sweet spots, is what we what we talk about, bimodal distribution. That's a fancy science word, which basically says if we look at when people get diabetes, there's sort of the group of people that get it really sort of pre-puberty, kind of six to 10-year-old range. And then there's another blip around puberty um, that people get it. But then we do know like you found, right? People get diabetes at all, type one diabetes at all stages. What we don't know, for example, is somebody, let's say they have just one antibody now. People that we test who only have one antibody, we know about 20% of them will develop more than one antibody after about five years. But we don't know if the other 80% will eventually get multiple antibodies or will develop diabetes with having only one antibody decades later. Hmm. We, you know, cause we haven't followed people 60 or 70 years, right? Yeah. We don't know that for sure. Wow. Uh, what about having other autoimmune? Like if you have a different autoimmune issue mm-hmm. and have an antibody, does it change your, your odds? What changes your odds is your genetics, right? So your genetics is what sets up any autoimmune disease and if you have another autoimmune disease, that means you have the genetics that puts you at potential increased risk. Gotcha. But once you have multiple antibodies, diabetes-related antibodies, the genetics don't seem to matter that much. Gotcha. Okay. So it really, the genetics tells you who's going to give you, who's going to have antibodies, not who's going to progress once you have antibodies. My last... And- Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, no, I didn't mean to stop you. If you have something else to say, keep going. I was just going to say, that's really why TrialNet focuses on screening relatives, right? Mm-hmm. Because we know that's a genetic screening test. If you have a relative with diabetes, that means the genes are in your family more concentrated. Right. And if we screen, you know, we will find about one out of every 50 relatives will have multiple antibodies. It is true that people who never had a relative will get diabetes. But we'd have to screen 750 people who do not have a relative to find that one with multiple antibodies. That's interesting. Let me ask you this. If, uh, can I pluck two people off the planet who are married 
and we screen them and find out if their children have more or less of a chance of having type 1? Mm, not really, because the genetics give us, I think, what we call a fertile field, right? Mm-hmm. They give a probability, but they're not like genes that cause particular kind of breast cancer or Huntington's chorea, in other words, monogenic diseases, right? right. They, don't, they don't say you're going to get it. I see. So it, we could give some ideas, but we can't give enough information. We know some genes that are associated with getting diabetes, but there's a lot of people who have those same genes who never will. So genetics alone doesn't help us. On the other hand, as I mentioned before, we do know about what happens in relatives. So if you're an identical twin, the risk is very high. If you're a child of a father with diabetes, the risk is higher than if you have a mother with diabetes. So we do have that kind of subtle information. Are you learning but about the, um, how, how does diabetes skip generations or, or is it just random? You know, Scott, I, it's so funny how often people ask me that. <laughs> no, it does not skip generations. Gotcha. So um, it, that is not true. I don't know why people get that idea. I don't but know. I hear it all the time. Yeah. So I, it's anecdotal. It's just anecdotal because probably yeah. what you just said is you're more likely if your father has than your mother has. So maybe yeah. maybe your father has it. You have a daughter who doesn't have it, who then has a son who then does have it, and then it makes it feel like it's skipping a generation. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I I don't mean to be. No, no. I you're... don't mean to be light about it, but in general, no. Unfortunately, that's again why we screen first degree. Right. Family members, that is immediate family, will screen people up into age 45, mm-hmm. where second degree, we actually only screen to age 20 because the risk becomes lower the further genetically you are from the person with diabetes. Um, after the obvious goal of helping people who you screen and find, mm-hmm. what are other goals of TrialNet? Like, what else am I helping to mm, do by being great a Great question. Of- so one of the things is that we're helping is that we are providing hope and support for people, right? If, if you have somebody with diabetes in your family, you know, you are worried about other people in your family. And most of the time you'll get pretty good news, right? Because only about 5% of people will have antibodies. But if somebody is antibody positive, you know, we're kind of there for them, right? It's like when a physician has to give bad news to anybody, mm this is bad news to let people know that, you know, unfortunately now you have multiple antibodies, but we're there to monitor and follow them carefully and, and provide opportunity and to have them prepare if that diagnosis will occur, if a trial is not available for them. But on a broader scale, what we provide and what participants provide to everybody else in the future is Every bit of data we get from any study we're doing is really laying the foundation for the future studies. So TrialNet was based on some of the studies that were literally started in the 80s, where we studied every family member we could find to measure everything we possibly could. And that's what led to this whole notion about what what predicts risk. So we learn about the natural history of the disease. We get a better understanding of who's more likely to respond to certain therapies. You know, we really learn a lot from everybody who participates. Yeah. It's, um, I find it encouraging and whimsical to think about 
um, that somebody started something in the eighties that's helping somebody in 2021. Um, yeah. and I can see how also somebody would think that and go, Oh, great. So they'll figure this all out 10 years after I'm dead. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but it, you really are in what it reminds me of is, uh, that I, I interviewed somebody who works at NASA recently and mm-hmm. I ended up asking, what does it feel like to be involved in something that you may never see the fruition of your work? And mm-hmm. I guess I feel drawn to ask you the same question. Well, I'll have to throw in a famous Talmudic saying from the Jewish tradition, where it's a, where it's a Hasidic story, which basically somebody goes to this old man who's planting a tree, saying, what are you planting the tree for? You're not going to see it happen. He said, nope, but my grandchildren will. And that this is all about, you know, thinking beyond myself and thinking about the future. And that's what we do. I mean, all research is this way. We all have little, little pieces in this puzzle. And, you know, the the cliche of standing on someone else's shoulders is what we do. Yeah. Um, so I, I must say that I'm super excited in my research lifetime how much has happened, right? We went from not knowing what could predict, and now we can predict. That was like, we couldn't do that before. Right. We step. went from not having anything to do about it to now we have a therapy that's now been shown to stop diabetes. Now, in fact, there are seven different therapies now that can alter the disease course in diabetes. Seven. There were none that long ago. So it's a little piece in the puzzle. We haven't gotten to the destination of curing diabetes yet, but boy, we've made a lot of changes. Yeah. I always imagine that that the end goal for all these different things, like you can use curing diabetes as an example, mm-hmm. but the end goal for something I imagine will never be reached the way the person in the moment now thinks it's going to be reached. Yeah. Do, do you find that, that you learn things along the way that reframe your thinking about how to reach that end goal? I love that. That's a great that's a fabulous way of thinking about it. I think. And Carla, I don't even smoke weed. I just came up with that on my. I own. was just going to so. say that's like totally, you know, sixties <laughs> thinking. No, I'm teasing. Um, <laughs> I would say the answer to that is, whereas much of science progresses in increments, right? Mm-hmm. Where we build on an observation somebody made, and we test that further, and we build on another observation. There are certainly times where there are paradigm shifts, right? Where somebody came up with a whole new way of either looking at the same data or has a new tool to measure something differently. So you're right. I don't know what the future of this is going to look like. Um, I hope there are clever people in the future who will, uh, you know, change the paradigms a little bit and and advance things even further. Yeah. It just, it, it makes you feel inside if you're being whimsical that one day someone will be able to say, Oh, you have an antibody in your, in your system that you don't want. We'll just take it out. We'll just, yeah. put, we'll just put this thing in here that goes and <laughs> hey, finds it and kills it. You know, you uh, know, like I said, I'm old enough to know when the whole idea, when, when um, Amazon was first starting to sell books online, mm-hmm. you know, I live in Seattle area and, I was telling, and there was an opportunity to invest, and I was telling my husband, that's ridiculous. No one's going to give a credit card to somebody online. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't know that people understand. Um, it's funny, we were just talking about this in my kitchen the other day, where I was explaining to Arden 
how quickly technology like builds on top of itself. Yeah. And, you know, I stand around with my kids who are 16 and 20 and I told them this story. I said, you know, when I was 13, I bought the most advanced consumer computer that existed. And I was like, I took it home and I bought a book, a book at the bookstore that had code in it. I spent an entire day of my life looking at the book, typing in this code. It went on forever and ever. And I got done and I pushed enter and nothing happened. So I went back and I read the book and looked at the screen and it took me hours upon hours and I found my typo and I fixed it and I pushed enter and a stick figure did one jumping jack on the screen and stopped. And I have to tell you, it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my life. All right, let's get into these ads and get back out quickly. Short episode, short ads. The Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor will show you the speed and direction of your blood sugar in real time. It will stop you from having to do finger sticks to know what your blood sugar is, and it will allow you to make decisions about insulin and food in a more precise and targeted way. And those decisions can easily lead to more stable blood sugars. Just imagine knowing how to balance your insulin against your food or seeing a small uh, low come up and not over treating it with food because you can kind of watch it happen. Say, ah, let me just try drinking a half of this juice box instead of the whole thing. This is amazing. On top of that, you can have up to 10 followers. So somebody can be wearing the Dexcom G6 and share their blood sugars if they want with up to 10 followers. This is for Android or iPhone, and it's fantastic. I can get my phone out of my pocket right now and tell you what Arden's blood sugar is. And it is 119, and it's stable. I can see it's been stable for quite some time, that quickly. If Arden's blood sugar leaves the range that we've set, which interestingly for this is 120 or 70, I'll get a little alarm, yeah, beep, beep. Arden's blood sugar is going above 120. And then we make a small adjustment to our insulin and bring it right back again. There are almost countless ways that you can use the information coming back from the Dexcom G6. Why don't you head over to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box and take a harder look at it. See if it isn't something you think you might enjoy. And if you're a U.S. military person getting your insurance through the VA, I think you're going to be super happy with the coverage. So you guys should head over too. There's a quick little form to fill out and Dexcom will get right back to you and a ton of information that you can look at on your own. Speaking of forms to fill out, if you go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box, you can fill out a short form that will result in an Omnipod demo coming directly to your house. There you or a loved one can try it on and wear it and see what it would be like to wear a tubeless insulin pump, not to be connected to any tubing or controllers and still get the delivery of insulin that you deserve, meaning basils while you're bathing, while you're swimming, during activity. Being able to fine tune that basal insulin, right? Not just inject it once a day and hope for the best, but be able to create basal programs like, I don't know, I want 0.5 an hour from midnight to 6 a.m., but at 6 a.m. I want it to be 0.7 or whatever. You're in control of that. You're also in control of temporary basal increases and decreases, extended boluses, and all kinds of ways to help with your insulin delivery to, again, be more targeted to your needs. Plus, it's tubeless. So you're not going to get wiring, uh, wiring, you're not going to get tubing caught on doorknobs, 
dresser handles, or have to take it off to bathe, swim, or be active, or do adult activities. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice box. Get that free, no obligation demo sent to you right now. Listen to what I'm saying. Free, no cost to you, no obligation. Means you don't like it, doesn't matter. That's risk-free in my opinion. There are links to Omnipod, Dexcom, and all the sponsors at juiceboxpodcast.com right there in the show notes of your podcast player, or you can type them into a browser, myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox, dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. And while we're talking about links, don't forget Trialnet. They're not a sponsor, but Carla's here today sharing the news, so trialnet.org. And a stick figure did one jumping jack on the screen and stopped. And I have to tell you, it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my life. (laughs) Yeah, well, I would say that, uh, you know, the advances that happen in science are obviously not as touchable for the average person, like all the technology has changed our world. But, But if you look back with a little bit of a broader lens, the difference between what science has brought to healthcare and medicine now versus when I was at med school, which wasn't that many centuries ago, it's night and day. Yeah. Um, and so I really do believe in science. I have um, to tell you that when, um, when my son was two, so we're mm-hmm. about 18 years ago, I'm 49. Let me do the math real quick. I think that made me like 36 or 37-ish in there, maybe 47. Mm-hmm. Nope, nope, 27 or 20. 26. Right, there yep. we go. Um my appendix almost burst. Mm-hmm. When my wife was a child, she had terrible ear infections. And when my daughter was two, she got type one diabetes. And you can go back in time, not that far and make the case that all three of us would have died. We wouldn't be alive yeah. today, you know, without just yeah. basic things that have yeah. moved forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really fantastic. And yeah, it, it's just, I've always been thrilled to tell people about trial net. And I, yeah. I, and, and then we get into that space, right. Where, yeah. um, I do believe that people need to understand the benefit of finding out that they have the antibodies because I I get afraid that when people hear about it, they just think, well, I don't want to just worry, like wait for the other shoe to drop. And I've also heard people thoughtfully say guests on this show, listen, Mm -hmm. I have type one diabetes. I've had it for 30 years. There's nothing wrong with me. I have a very normal life and my kids could have a normal life too, if they had it, except the idea that you could maybe take a pill that could Mm -hmm exponentially slow the the onset down or even stop it i mean that's that to me is where the exciting part is yeah i mean i i again look participating in research is not for everybody Mm -hmm. and it's really hard to do it when you're making decisions for your children for example as compared for yourself right on the other hand you know all the money in the world is not going to bring progress if we can't have people participating so every single person who steps up to participate just is accelerating our ability to test new therapies and to find new things. Um, and, and yet I know it's, it's a challenge. Um, I guess the only other comment I would make is that research in other areas where families have one child with a chronic disease, for example, has well documented that the other children in the family are wondering about them getting it as well. So sometimes parents say, I don't want to scare my other child. I don't want them to think that they might be at risk. 
what we know from all sorts of other studies that they're thinking about that anyway, whether they're saying it out loud or not. Right. Um, You know, and, and the other thing is that, you know, going back to the sixties, you know, knowledge is power. So I think when people know that they're antibody positive, there's obviously a sorrow and grieving process around that, but it's such a wonderful um, opportunity to be able to prepare um, and to, to not have to, you know, end up in the hospital with DKA or something. No matter how many people I speak to who are misdiagnosed type two and eventually find out they're type one, yeah. um, they all, at, I, and I think I really mean all of them, eventually mm-hmm. say it is better to know than to struggle or to yeah. wonder. It, it, they yeah. use words very similar to that. I've never heard anyone say, you know, I would have liked to have gone on thinking I had type two diabetes when I really mm-hmm. had type one. And mm-hmm. I, I'm just a big fan of that. Like in my mind, a bill comes, whether I think I can pay it or not, I open it up to find out what it is because now at least I know, you know, yeah. staring at the envelope closed, it, it, you know, you can't, you don't forget it's there. You just, yeah. <laughs> you just you're just putting off the inevitable and maybe, you know, yeah. I don't like, you know, like maybe I open it up and realize, oh my God, I paid too much last month. This one's a freebie. I get a whole month. You know, <laughs> get a whole month of thinking my water bill's paid already. You know, um, it, it just yeah. To, to me, it's well, a let, mindset. Yeah, let me let me throw out a number for you. To, you know, for you and your your people listener to think about this. That there's about forty thousand people that are newly diagnosed with type one diabetes every year in the United States. If three of each of them had, on average, three relatives that's like 120,000 people, right? Which would be 3,000 people that would be identified potentially who who have multiple antibodies. If we had that group of people regularly, we would be able to do all the trials much more quickly and we would get the answers much more quickly. And that would help everybody, people who- Helps everybody. Mm -hmm. I, I have to say, not to mix my apples and my oranges here for a second, but I support the T1D exchange Mm-hmm. And I sometimes struggle to explain to people why that's important. Like, you know, to say to somebody like, oh, they, you know, they took data and may, and that helped the ADA bring down the um, A1C guidelines for children. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you hear that and it could, it could be very easily, you could hear that and go, uh, what? Like, why does that matter? But it, <laughs> but it, you know, but it does matter because when the ADA says, look, this should be a target, then every endocrinologist in the country reframes their idea of health. And yeah. and even though it's a slow, you know, it's like it's like turning, you know, turning a, a, a battleship. Eventually, yeah. that means that everybody gets more targeted information about how to manage their blood sugars. And you know, everybody can't listen to this podcast. I wish they could, but and I know what happens when people listen to their to their variability and their A one C and their overall health. Like having good information and good tools is the answer. But mm. but doctors they take their marching orders from somewhere else, like largely. And so that's a hard thing to explain in a soundbite. And and Mm -hmm. I think maybe you suffer from that sometimes too, trying to say like, look, you know, if this many people times this many people would equal 3000 more people, you have no idea how helpful that information would be to helping everybody. Um, but now we've said it, so now they just have to believe it. Well, you'll just have to say it three or four more times because that's exactly the point. I mean, it's, we, we, we need people to help us help them. That's really what we need. Right. Um, and, you know, our job is to do the best studies we possibly can 
um, and to do the best we can to support people who are volunteering, you know, for participation. But uh, we need people to participate. That's but, for sure. Carla, aren't you just going to take my blood and make a race of lizard people and invade Mars <laughs> with them? <laughs> Uh, Listen, I think there is among the various, the tremendous tragedy that COVID has brought to the world, you know, there have been quite a few silver linings. And I think one is a little bit more insight into science and what science can help and offer people, you know, is much more in the so-called public square than I think it's been in the past. And I hope people see that, you know, the number we actually were involved in running one of the we were a site for the Pfizer vaccine trial this past year. Um, we had more people wanting to volunteer for that than anything we've ever done. And I, you know, reflected on that. Why is it? It's because people saw it as an emergency. It's imminent. And people saw it as a public good. They saw how terrible things were and felt that they could contribute to making it better. Yeah. So maybe what we haven't explained clearly enough to people is that contributing is how it's going to make it better in diabetes. Yeah, and it doesn't take that much effort. I mean, honestly, I had to go into an office to do it that day, and it wasn't that big of a deal. And now you're saying, I I just went to your site. So I go to trialnet.org, and then I want to participate now. I see that. And then, oh, it's easy. I hit click sign up. And there's, it says you can get an at-home test kit, visit a Quest Diagnostics or LabCorp, or make, and that's it. Okay, so this seems pretty simple. Um, and you put pictures of cute children on there, which is always a smart thing <laughs> for a website. <laughs> well, you know, we do have an awful lot of people have participated over the years that are really passionate and eager to tell their story. So we like to do that, and we anticipate um, doing that quite a bit more coming in the next quarter. Yeah. Uh, we'll have a whole new campaign where we're telling people's stories and why they participate and what their experience has been in trial net. That's excellent. Um, it really is. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how to get through to everybody. Like, you know, I, I, there's times I just think like, just, just do it. <laughs> just, 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 <laughs> just go do it. Like, even if like, could, let me ask you a question. If I wanted to help the, this is going to sound crazy because you probably isn't going to work out the way I'm thinking of, but if I want to help the overall cause, but I don't want my results, can I do that? No. Because it would be medically unethical for you to know something about me and not help me? Well, it just doesn't help me as much, right? Because we already know, if we got your blood sample and you had antibodies, Mm -hmm. we already know what that means. We're not going to learn anything from that. Gotcha. What we need is for people to be ready to be in studies to see if we can slow or delay the disease. Right. So I appreciate the sentiment, and I should say, if you lived in Seattle, we would love to have your blood because we do an awful lot of work here just at Benaroya Institute to use blood samples from people living with diabetes to understand the disease. So we're not running a clinical trial like TrialNet is. But if I wanted to just drop off some blood at the uh, the institution that separate of TrialNet, uh, I had type 1 diabetes, I could do that? Yeah, we, we have – well, you don't just drop it off, but yes, wait, wait. you have to stop it. Carla, no, no, Carla, in my mind, I roll up to the curb and I just toss it out the window and you – Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. It's not, like, it's not like that you're saying? <laughs> it's a little more than that. But yes, we – the reason why we – some of the trials that we conduct, we have decided to do because of what we learned from studying blood samples and people living with diabetes. I got you. So, you know, all these different ways that people – 
who have diabetes can contribute. Again, it's not really what TrialNet does in terms of people living with diabetes, um, but we do learn from samples um, all the time. Well, it's a, an amazing thing. Like the work you're doing is, um, it's astonishing. And I do think, I do think it, it'll come to, to some or a lot of good one day. I am, you know, I, I have to say that for me being the parent of a child with type one, I live like diabetes won't be cured in my lifetime. I hope it will be like, I always yeah. have the hope, but I prepare like it won't be because I, I get super afraid for people who have that feeling like, oh, don't worry, they're going to fix it soon. I don't have to take care of myself right as well. Mm, and I, I'm yeah. always worried about that balance a little bit. But yeah, um, but that's what yeah. we've kind of struck here. Like, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if I turned the news on one day and some guy's like, yeah, I use that CRISPR. It turns out you just do this and this and, you, you know, like, <laughs> and, and, at the, and at the same time, if yeah. I know yeah. I'll never know, but I, I tell you right now, if I send somebody to trial net through this podcast and a yeah. hundred years from now, kids don't have type one diabetes anymore. I hope I can feel that wherever I am because. Yeah. You know what I oh, mean? I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love that sentiment. And I, you know, I would say that we do rely on people like yourself who are passionate, um, not only about helping people with type one diabetes, but sharing information. I think that's, that's really why the type one community is so amazing. Um, do appreciate the, oh, that kind of work. You have to scale Be it. Before know. we leave, I should tell you about our new study, though. Is that okay? Do we have a minute? What are you kidding me? What are you thinking? Yeah. I'm busy or something? It's <laughs> it's COVID. I'm just going to stand up and right, walk into another right. room after well, this. Well, I've got backup calls, but we're okay for a little bit. Go so ahead, here, listen, as I spent this whole time, right, we're all about doing prevention, right? Mm -hmm. But one of the other pieces that TrailNet is now doing is looking out at different types of therapies that different companies are starting to think about developing. And we're going to those companies and we're saying, look, TrialNet can do these studies for you. We can help move it along. We can bring it from their early steps to the next steps to the next steps. And so I'm really excited about this new study. So it's a phase one study. Phase one means first time the drug's ever been to given to people. Um, and it's just, therefore, testing to make sure it's safe and helps us select what are the kind of doses we want to use, mm -hmm. right, for the bigger trial. But this phase one study, if the results are good, um, is what's going to lead in the future the next step to prevention. So for this study, this is looking just for adults because phase one means, again, only first time in people. So we don't give these therapies to children. And we're looking for adults who were within four years of diagnosis. And we're going to be giving them a therapy that I kind of call a designer drug. So it's a designer drug for uh, diabetes that we're testing um, in this group of adults. So if people, particularly people who live near a trial net center, um, that would be um, really great. And again, you should be able to read about that on our website as well okay. under new onset studies. Under new onset studies. Adults. It's called TOPPLE is the study. S spell it? T-O-P-P-L-E. Okay. Well, I will I make sure. I'll put links to everything in here for that. Okay. Um, that's excellent. I'm glad you told me about that. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it just makes sense, right? You're doing the work already, and yeah. and they're looking at, at the same things. You might as well. I have to say that I had a gentleman on, Dr. Millman. A number yeah. Of, you, you, know, you know, Jeffrey? I know of him. But Do I don't you really? Know him okay. I had him on a couple yeah. months ago. And um, one of the things that it came away from um, that that I came away going, wow, that's crazy. Is it how much more science, 
scientific minded people are now sharing what they learn. And it's, mm-hmm. it's become less about like, we'll just, you know, we'll, if we get it, it's ours. And it's more about, you know, about people being able to dig into other people's research and do labs, helping labs and everything. And I, I, you know, I, I really do forget the, the actual like specifics of what he said, but it, it, it left me with a good feeling of, mm-hmm. you know, if you, somebody's having a good idea over there and someone's having a good idea over there and they're not talking, it seems like a, like a waste of time, you know, so. Well, you know, there is this, you know, old image of a scientist, you know, locked in their dark laboratory and, you know, never talking to everybody, but certainly clinical research is 100% a network, right? A collaboration. I mean, TrialNet has hundreds of sites, thousands of people that are involved in making this work. So it's really all about communicating with others and and building bridges, for sure. Isn't Isn't Millman at WashU? He is. Look at you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I forget why I ended up having him on, but something he said, okay. something he said on Twitter or somewhere, I forget where I saw it. I was like, I'm going to ask okay. that guy to come on the podcast. And uh, then uh, he was just delightful. And, and what yeah. he talked about was just very aspirational. And yeah. I think it's, yeah. one of the things he said was like, is like the thing we're doing right now was just, was just unheard of a short time ago. Like this just, this is something that nobody could even imagined. And, and that to me is exciting. The idea that things are exponentially growing and scaling and. Right. You know. And the cool thing is that a scientist like himself, who's developing new therapies will be able to something like trial net takes those and tests them in people. That's why I'm saying it's like, it's like, you know, it's a village, right? It's yeah. a whole community of different people using their skills and interests who then pass that idea along for the next day. That's what it's all about. Hey, a huge thanks to Omnipod and Dexcom for sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox Podcast. Find out more about that Omnipod tubeless insulin pump at myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. And of course, the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor. You can learn about that at dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. You can get your free T1D risk screening from TrialNet at trialnet.org. And you can also find out about those other studies just the way Carla told you about. Why don't you check it out at trialnet.org? That was pretty good, right? I'm done. I did everything I need to do here. Let me take a minute to thank everybody again for the great ratings and reviews that you've been leaving on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to the podcast at. Uh, Thanks so much for sharing the podcast with other people, for joining the private Facebook group, which of course is always free. Everything about the podcast is always free to you. Um, Checking us out on Instagram or wherever else you follow along. Let me just put this feeler out. If you're an endocrinologist who recommends the show to people, I would love you to come on and talk about that. You could be completely anonymous if you wanted to. I, I can't offer a voice changer, although... I don't know that I can't figure out how to do that, but um, you could be anonymous. I would love to hear from an endocrinologist that suggests this podcast to patients. So if you're that person, reach out, find me. I'd like to know more. There's going to be one more episode this week, and then next week there's going to be an After Dark, and what else? We have a lot of really cool episodes edited. Which one am I going to give you next week? So I think this weekend, maybe Sarah, 
maybe Meredith, maybe Galen, maybe Galen this weekend, next week, an after dark with Josh and Sarah later in the week. I think that's what I'm going to do. Then there's a how we eat coming up next, like two weeks from now. And another after dark coming the month later. That's what I'm going to do. Yes, I've just talked myself into it. Now let's see if I can remember what I said the next time I go to put up an episode. Anyway, thanks so much for listening, guys. I love making the podcast for you. Thank you for listening. It means the world to me. I'll talk to you soon.